up our Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 32. You will recall in our first message in preparing us for this new year and preparing our hearts for prayer, we dealt with the sin of the golden calf and we worked on one word and that word was impatience. And this evening in Exodus 32, I'll begin reading with verse 25 and read through verse 29. And the title we're using is who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? Exodus 32, verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, thus saith the Lord God, put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. There fell of the people that day about 3000 men. For Moses had said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Now, as we look into these passages, the word I want to work on in this is the word courage. The word courage. Father, for the next few moments as we minister your word, we want you to speak to all of us. We're grateful that your word is inspired and it's true. And all that is placed in this book, you have provided as an example or an illustration for all of us upon whom the ends of the world have come. So help us to see these things. Help us to hear these things in Jesus name. Amen. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. The mighty hand of God has done it in a miraculous way. Upon their entrance into the wilderness, Moses was summoned to the top of a mountain where there were thunders and lightnings and a cloud of glory. The scripture says that while he was in the mountaintop, that God gave him the pattern of that house that they would use for worship. The children of Israel, while awaiting Moses, who had been in the mountaintop for more than a month, gathered themselves to Aaron and said to Aaron they wanted a God. And of course, this is what Aaron provided for them. When Moses returned, he saw something that was heartbreaking. And of course, he immediately went to Aaron and of course, You can see in verse 21 where Moses confronted Aaron and said, what did these people do unto you that you brought this great sin upon the people? Now Moses wanted to know, did they threaten you? Did they cast a spell on you? Did they trick you? What would have caused you to turn your back on me, your blood kin, 
and to turn your back on God who delivered the children of Israel miraculously. That you would so transgress the commands of God in this way. Well, Aaron did not want his brother to be angry with him. And that's what he said in verse 22. And you can see what his excuse was. He said, now, come on, Moses, you understand we're talking about the Israelites. These folks are set on mischief. Now, you're their shepherd. You're their pastor. You, you know how these folks are. I mean, you led them out of Egypt. You better than anybody knows that uh, these beavers are hard to pastor. And, and you know what happens when the, the Georges get in their mind what they want to do. And Aaron said, look, I'm not to blame. It's these people who have mischievous motives. They said to me in verse 23, make us gods who will lead us because it's for Moses. We don't know what has happened to him. They had turned their backs on Moses. They basically had had said, we don't know whether he's left us, but we're certainly going to leave him. And if he doesn't care about us and has brought us into the wilderness to abandon us, we need to think about ourselves. And so Aaron said, they came to me and I said, well, you need to contribute to this. Give me the gold that you have. And once I take the gold, I'll do something. And he said, Moses, I took all the gold. I built a fire. I cast the gold into the fire. And amazingly, out of the fire came a calf. I mean, that's Aaron's new theory of evolution. I mean, Aaron... He omitted his role in this. He didn't talk about building a mold for the gold and he didn't talk about bringing it out and then fashioning it and chiseling it. He just simply said the fire produced it. Moses, there was an explosion and out of it came this calf. Look at it. I'm not to blame. But it's interesting then that Moses was righteously indignant at what the people had done. Now, when we look in verse 25 and we see the word naked, naturally we know that they had taken off certain kinds of attire and ornaments. We know that because later on it says it in chapter 33. But I also want you to see that when it says he made them naked, we have something similar in second Kings chapter 16. There is a king by the name of Ahaz who began to reign when he was 20 and Ahaz went to Syria one day. And when he was in Damascus, he looked in verse 10 and he saw an altar that was there. And he was so fascinated by the beauty of that altar that he called for his men and said, look, take the measurements of this altar, these buildings. And I want you to go back home to Jerusalem. Take that old altar out that God told us to build. And I want you to replace it with this one that looks so much better. And we'll use that to worship our God. And sure enough, all the construction men went back and they built that altar. And by the time Ahaz came back, they had new altars in place, other things in place. God was unhappy. 
And as it says in Second Chronicles, when it describes this story, it says that Ahaz had made the children of Judah naked in the presence of God. So what that means is when we turn from God and transgress the commandments of God, we essentially strip ourselves bare of the very righteousness that God has provided. Not to mention the fact that these folks physically look different. Physically were attired different. And the Bible says how they were conducting themselves was a shame. Now, you would think most people with common sense would not dance around a golden calf. But I'm telling you, there are people in this world that have a lot of common sense and have done things worse than this. You do know that in Hinduism, there is a temple in India dedicated to the rat God. And that there are millions of people that visit that temple every year. And if you've ever seen pictures or videos or documentaries of it, you know that when you look in that temple all along the outer courts and throughout the temple, there are just millions, millions of rats and mice running around everywhere. You can see pools of water with the, the, the throngs of the mice, the pressure of it pushing them over the edges into the water. And pilgrims in Hinduism come from long distance just to come to this temple and dip their feet or their bodies into that water, you can see them with their hands taking it in the water, bringing it to their lips, and you see mice and rats everywhere, but they believe it'll produce healing for their body. It's a golden calf. And the people, just like Israel, dancing around it. When I lived in Japan, I noticed that in Shintoism, there was a temple there on the island of Okinawa, that was used primarily for people who wanted to pray to die. If their life was so impoverished, without hope, their children would, children had difficult lives, or, or a woman who was unable to conceive, whatever it might have been. They would go into this temple that was filled with urns of the ashes of ancestors. Sometimes they'd carry the urns of their family members from home to this temple, set it all up as a shrine, kneel down before it, and then pray to the gods that they could die. It's a golden calf. In Africa, some parts of Africa, Malawi in particular, other places too, On the anniversary of someone's death, they'll exhume the body, put it on a gurney or a stretcher and carry that body around the village so that people can get a glimpse of that body. And so that the decedent can see what all buildings have now been fashioned and made along Main Street. And then they'll pray. Then they'll pray to their gods, the gods of their tribes. All I'm telling you is that there are a lot of people around the world that are naked and exposed in a wicked way to the shame of their enemies. Moses saw this, and I like what he did. His his stomach, I'm sure, turned. And he was angry with what he saw. And here's a man who has courage. He goes and stands in the gate of the camp. That's the place of authority. Why did he go there? Because the gate in Israel is typically the place where the elders met. It's where the judges held court. 
That was the place of commerce because that's where goods were imported, exported, came in, went out. Taxes were paid at the gate. For him to come and stand in the gate and then open up his mouth, the people knew he was taking a position that meant he had something important to say. And I can give this to you in another way. Jeremiah, the prophet, went to the house of the Lord and stood in the gate of the Lord's house. And he said, amend your ways. And he went to the gate of the Lord's house because that was a place of authority for Moses. To come stand in the gate of the camp with all of these people, I'd like to know how loudly he had to scream over this ruckus. Let's not forget when they all came down. They were dancing and Moses with Joshua, other elders come down to the foot of the hill and the people were out there dancing and having a good time. Remember, they had had a feast. They sat down to eat and drink. They rose up to play. And with all the thousands upon thousands of people that were out there, even when Moses came down, I guarantee there were people that didn't even see him when he descended the mountain. And when he went into the gate of the camp of the Lord, he opened up his mouth and began to proclaim the truth of God's word. And other people had no idea he was there. But after he asked the question in a very loud way, who's on the Lord's side? Pretty soon it got quiet. And when it started getting quiet on that side, pretty soon silence came to that area. Silence came to that area. And people realized Moses standing in the gate. Now, why in the world did Moses have to take his position in this place anyway? It's because of Aaron. You realize that when idolatry begins in a house or in a church. It usually begins because some authority figure let it in. Aaron built the golden calf after he conceived the golden calf. And whenever you find a house where you've got people that don't believe the Bible, don't believe it is the infallible and Aaron inspired word of God, I guarantee you somebody's been preaching that to them for a while. There's an Aaron that did this to them. And when you find someone that says, I deny that God can can do anything miraculous for us today. There's a preacher been whispering in somebody's ears. Yeah. Why do you think our nation has much of the fruit that it has right now? Because someone like an Aaron on Capitol Hill raised their hand and said, this is legitimate. This should be legalized. This should be okay." And people put faith. In their authority figures. After all, Aaron was the brother of Moses. Moses was the prophet of God. Aaron was the mouthpiece of the prophet of God, or he was a prophet for Moses to the people. So they knew he was in a position of power, the number two man. And when that man said, we have a calf here and this be your God, he led them into idolatry. I think in the history of this world, There are plenty of people in hell today that have gone there because they were following a preacher who honestly believed what they did and what they were saying was correct. But it takes courage for Moses to confront his brother. It takes courage for Moses to rebuke his brother 
And then to come and stand in the gate knowing that there are millions of people out there doing the very thing that he's opposed to. But yet he has to lift up his voice and say, who's on God's side? Now, that's a question for all of us. Do we have that kind of courage? Would you be able to lift up your voice and ask that question to your family, to your friends, to your peers, even to your enemies? Would you be able to ask someone, are you on the side of God or are you on someone else's side? Well, I love what happened here in verse 26. It doesn't say most of, a few of, or some of. It says all of the sons of Levi gathered themselves unto him. Moses stood in the gate. He asked a question. The people didn't in the Levi tribe didn't even have to take a second thought. The moment he asked the question, they looked at one another and started walking over to where Moses was and stood right next to him. They're all related. The 12 tribes, descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The sons of Levi separated themselves from their blood kin in order to follow a man of God. That's what they did. Could you do that? Could you separate yourself from people that would laugh at you or persecute you or from the family traditions or the family religion? Some people could never do it. Who's on God's side? Could you really walk away from Roman Catholicism if God was dealing with your heart and he showed you that there were elements of that that was wrong? Could you do it? Could you turn your back on your mother and father that were involved with Jehovah's Witness religion or Mormonism? And you knew that in walking away from them, there's a possibility that you wouldn't have the same relationship again. Could you do it? Who's on the Lord's side? That's what he's saying here. And by asking that question, the sons of Levi show us what courage is to separate yourself from people who refused to go on with God and walk in the truth. You know, through the years, I've, I've had people in this region that sometimes when, <clears throat> especially when we were here all the time during the week, I'd come back, hit that play button on the answer machine at the house there, and then that play button would say, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such church here in Hebron or wherever in the, in the county. And then they'd say, I'm, I'm calling you be, because I, I don't want to ask my own pastor this. And maybe we can get together. You can call me and, and answer a few questions, you know. So I'd give a call back, talk to them. Where do you go to church? And they tell me so on and so forth. And then I'd say something like, well, you know, we got Bible study on a Tuesday. We got church on the Sunday. Oh, no, I could never come to the church. I mean, the people in, in, in town, do you know what kind of difficulties I'd have? Well, you don't mind calling me on the phone asking for answers. To a question. But sometimes people are under the impression that the peer pressure from their family will be so great that they don't want to have to deal with it. I've heard of business owners in Nebraska who have wanted to leave the church they were raised in to go to another church. But they've had people in their church tell them, if you leave us and go over there, we won't frequent your business. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Here's what Moses says in the gate. Who's on the Lord's side? The sons of Levi later on become the priests that operate in the tabernacle. Now, you know, as well as I do, Revelation chapter one says we've all been made kings and priests unto God. Do you have that kind of courage? Would you be willing to separate yourself from a person who doesn't believe God from people who don't walk with God because you want to be distinct and you want to be unique? I mean, there, there are plenty of people that think, well, you know, as a church, we you know, we, we need to do what we can to be relevant. Oh, no, we don't. The Bible says we're called to be a holy nation chosen generation, a peculiar people. We're called to be different, not relevant, different. There should be something that causes us to stand out and courage gives us the ability to be like the sons of Levi. Lord, I will be on your side because that's how Jesus is. Children of Israel waited for a physical, tangible, visible return of Moses. It didn't come. Meanwhile, they created An idol, one day we're expecting our Savior to return, but I'm telling you, until he returns, we have to remain on God's side. Doesn't matter what anybody says. If I backslide, my wife should go on with God. Better believe it. And anybody in here, no matter who is next to you or connected with you, you should stay with God and never go in the opposite direction. And once... The sons of Levi were there. It gives us a picture that's hard to imagine. The sons of Levi gathered on this side and there were others that had gathered with them also. But you still had some holdouts over there that thought that golden calf ought to be the God. And we're still angry at Moses. How dare he leave us for six weeks and then come in and out of our lives and then come back and expect us to listen to him and follow him when he's been gone. Man of God never missed a beat. He didn't look at them with sympathy and empathize with them because of their circumstances. He didn't look at them and say, I understand why you entered into the worship of the golden calf and I can see why this happened to you. He didn't say that at all. He said to the people next to him, everybody gird up a sword. Here's the line that divides us. Everybody on the other side of the line. Doesn't matter if he's related to you. Doesn't matter if it's your boy. You take the sword to them. And when it's all over, 3,000 people are dead. You say that's pretty harsh. It is pretty harsh, but it's an illustration for us as a church. And it tells us quite plainly, God does not take sin lightly. And he's not going to play with sin just because you want to play with sin. And you're fascinated by sin. 3,000 people died. Because Aaron gave them license to sin. Because a multitude went to Aaron to promote idolatry and he accepted it. 3,000 people died. Now you say, well, that's not very Christ-like. You've got to be kidding. That's very Christ-like. 
You've got this image of Jesus as the meek and lowly lamb in the gospels. And that's what he was. He died on the cross for our sins as the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. But I'm telling you right now, the Christ at the right hand of the father isn't a meek and lowly lamb anymore. He's enthroned and he's empowered. And Revelation 19 says when he returns, he's coming back and he's going to smite the nations with the sword of his mouth. A lot of people are going to die. A lot of people that have followed the Antichrist and been involved with idolatry are going to lose their lives. So don't think for a second that God takes sin lightly. He doesn't. Now, we may, as I said, play around with it and think it's not such a terrible thing and go with the whole, well, you know, God understands and God understands me. Yes, he knows you're crazy. He knows you're crazy and he knows you're going to be judged for your sin. But here, Moses gives us this illustration of how, verse 28, the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. They obeyed the man of God, even when it severed them from people they were related to. Do you have that kind of courage? Could you use the Bible, which is the sword? Could you use the Bible to fend off someone who's attacking you in the faith? Could you use the sword to not just defend yourself, but then to also attack the position of somebody else? They come to you and they say, well, look, I believe marriage ought to be between whoever wants to get married. You need to let them know it doesn't matter what you believe is what the good book says. Your personal opinion doesn't matter. It's what the Bible says, what God says. And it's clear they did according to the word of Moses. So we should do according to the word of Christ. And there fell that day, 3000 people. It's a sad story. 3000 bodies out in the desert. People standing back, beholding cousins, nieces, nephews. And so on and so forth. And and, and Moses didn't just leave them out there. Somebody's got to bury these folks. But Moses was a man of God. And it takes courage to do that. The other thing I could mention is in verses 19 and 20. When Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, He got angry. He got angry. And he had the Ten Commandments in his hand and he broke them right there at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made. Notice he burnt that thing in fire. The very thing Aaron said it came out of. And then after he burned it, he ground it into powder and then he strung it or poured it or sprinkled it out upon the water and made them drink their sin. Takes courage to do that. Because there's some of you in here that probably would have said, oh, there's no way on this earth I would have did that. Whether you would have or not, I can tell you one thing. Moses made him do it. That's a man of courage. And we need to be courageous enough to face our own iniquity. To recognize it for what it is. It's sin. And it destroys 
And it's a terrible thing. So then you can see in that final verse in 29, Moses says, consecrate yourselves today. Sanctify yourselves. Make yourselves holy. This is what we do when we spend time with God in a little time of prayer. This is what we do in our devotion, whether it's in the morning, afternoon, or at night as Jesus prayed. But it's good to be able to come to God and like David, pour your heart out as a drink offering. I, I told someone one time regarding prayer because they were saying, I, I don't really like to confess to God all the terrible things in my life that I'm dealing with because it just seems to me like to confess that is to confess weakness. I said, what difference does it matter whether you confess it or not? He sees and reads the thoughts of your heart. He sees the weaknesses in your life. I know the scripture says, let the weak say that I'm strong. But, you know, sometimes to be able to go into the presence of God and say, Lord, I have this bad attitude. And I've been wrestling with this for a long time. And if you'd be so kind to multiply your grace, do some surgery inside of me, work on me so that I won't have this attitude. There are plenty of people who have anger problems. But Jesus is able to reach down in the heart and take somebody with anger problems and heal them completely. Change them just like that. But it begins with an acknowledgement that there's consecration that need to be made to God. So for a few moments, as we take a little time to pray, let's um, let's make it personal. I told you last week, if we spend more time asking God to help us improve ourselves, we won't spend so much time trying to criticize other people. See, if I turn that finger on me and I say, oh, God, here I stand. Help me to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Then God will help us to do that. Amen. Amen. You can build an altar out of that chair if you want to kneel and pray, if you want to find a place to sit.